Would you turn in your copy of the scripture to the scripture that we looked at, although it, uh, that was read for you, although it's a familiar section, uh, we're going to stick pretty close to the gospel of Mark, although there are other details in the other gospels you will pick up, and we're working our way through Mark, and you say, well, what are you doing here at the crucifixion at Christmas time? What do you think Christmas is about? Why do you think the baby was born? The baby was born because we needed a savior and he came and this is how that takes place. He proved himself as God and then he laid down his sinless body, human body, in submission to the father and he gave himself to be crucified. And so we, uh, it's a good time to do the crucifixion. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you speak to us. And especially when we, when we look at stuff that we know so well. Uh, make it make it apply to our being more like you. And so speak to our hearts and, and make us like Jesus. We pray for any who have yet to, to come to know Christ, that they'd see him giving himself for them on that cruel cross and that you draw them to yourself. And we pray for your glory and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at the crucifixion of, of the Savior, and which made our salvation possible. If you have your, your bulletin inside the bulletin, you'll find the notes that I use pretty close for, uh, for the sermon. It may help you follow along, may help you understand my English. Uh, whatever is necessary, that's what they are for. And so what we're looking at here is, is, the, is what provided for the propitiation of our sin. And, and when you look in, in through, the, through the New Testament, you'll see a couple of words that are applied to dealing with our sin, and or English words that are applied to dealing with our sin. And one is expiation, and one is propitiation. Expiation, it, and they, they're kind of used interchangeably, but, but the English words actually mean something a little bit different because expiation speaks of taking our sin away, which Jesus did on the cross. But propitiation talks about... Uh, making us, bringing us close to God, okay? X has to do with taking our sins away. Propitiation has to do with paying, our, uh, paying for our sin and putting us in a good relationship with God. You cannot be in a good relationship with God if you have sin in your life that, that you are taking responsibility for, that you're taking account for. And so Jesus made, made a way for us to get rid of that sin, to put it on him, trust it to him. He paid for it. But you can have a debt paid and still not be in, in good standing with someone. If I loan you $50 and three years later, you know, I, I rag on you for three years and say, where's my $50? And finally you pay me back. That does not make us good, close friends. That's expiation. The debt is paid. But propitiation is when the debt is paid and we are buds, you know, okay? And so that's what, it, it's closer than that, what Jesus did on the cross. But that's what we want to look at. And just a little note before we begin is if you are looking at the different Gospels, you will see different times for the, the crucifixion. And that is because in this time there were a couple of different ways of, of telling time. The Hebrew way is what Mark chose. And so he speaks of the third hour and the sixth hour and the ninth hour. In the Gospel of John, he uses the Roman way of telling time and he speaks of the sixth hour as, as would, which would be 6 a.m. In Hebrew time, the third hour is 9 a.m., the sixth hour is noon, and the ninth hour is 3 p.m. So it all works out 
to be the same time, just different ways of expressing it. All righty? So, we, we, we read again the verse that, that we landed on, ended on last week, which had to do with Jesus, Pilate, exhausting all the, all the ways that he could come up with to cover himself with the Jews and to let Jesus, who he saw as innocent, go free. And he finally had to just give in to the Jews to maintain peace, as he saw it. And it says, and so he, turned him, he had turned him over to, the, uh, to the, the soldiers to abuse, and they put a robe on him and a crown on his head and beat him with his staff, and then they stripped him and, of those and put his own clothes back on, and it says they led him out to crucify him. So we go to the crucifixion. And... In, in the Gospel of Mark, the next verse says, and they compelled a passerby, is the way the ESV says it, uh, Simon of Cyrene. Now, over in the Gospel of John, actually, Luke and Matthew both say that, that speak of, of, uh, of Simon carrying the cross. They never say that Jesus carried the cross, but in the Gospel of, of John, he says that he left carrying his own cross. Now, how, does the, how do we reconcile those two things? Well, maybe... Jesus started out carrying his cross and was too weak to do it. Now, there's one thing that, that we will not find in Scripture. You will find it in Stations of the Cross in the Catholic churches, in Roman Catholic churches. You'll find it in songs and stories about Jesus stumbling and falling under the cross. There is no place in the Scripture where it says Jesus ever fell once or three times. He may have. But we don't know that. That is all from tradition, right? But we do know that the Roman soldiers deemed it best to turn the, the carrying of the cross over to a fellow who was just coming in from the country, Simon of Cyrene. Of Cyrenia? I'm not sure what the name of... Yeah, of Cyrene. He would have been a Cyrenian, Okay. And, and what was he carrying? Now, as we, we look at, at art, we have pictures of Jesus carrying the complete cross, and, and some commentators and some historians say that the complete cross would have been too heavy for any man to carry. So maybe that wasn't the case. Some say, well, they only carried the, the cross beam, and, and that would have been tied on his shoulders so that he, he was stretched out walking through the, the streets with that. Others say, well, the, the, the cross beams were already up on the hill, and then he carried the upright. It really doesn't matter. You know? there, are, there are even some other questions about the, the configuration of the cross. Some say it was just a pole. Some say it was a T-shape. Some say it was an X. Well, one thing that does fit well with the scripture is the cross being the shape of the cross that we recognize because the, the title that was given Jesus was posted over his head. So an X doesn't work and a T doesn't work. Okay. But how much weight he was, he was required to carry, we don't know. We do know from history that, that the Romans liked the, the, the accused, the convicted, to carry their own cross. Because it was just a, an extra punishment. It was a proclamation of their guilt. And it was a, a, a deterrent, crime deterrent, when people saw what happens to people who offend Rome. So he started out, we'll say, according to John, he started out bearing his own cross. 
That was their intent. We don't know how far he went, but he didn't go far. And it was turned over to, the, the duty of carrying the cross was turned over to Simon of Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene was a, was a Jew. Uh, the city of Cyrene is in Libya, or was in Libya, northern part of Libya. And, and it, was, uh, it was kind of forced, Jews were forced to inhabit it by Ptolemy I. So there was a big Jewish community there. And we read of the Cyrenians in, in, in several places in the New Testament. This one, Simon, had moved to, apparently to the area, well, no, temporarily or permanently, but he's coming in from the, from the country. Some interpretations say that is from a field, not just coming from outside Jerusalem, but coming from where he had been working. Now, it mentions in here, in, in the Gospel of Mark, that he is the father. It tells something about him, that he is the, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, both of those are pretty common names. But the name Rufus is, is uh, singled out by, uh, or made a point of, of speaking about in the book of Romans, as Paul says, be sure and to greet Rufus. And so it is possible, and there's another tradition that says that, that as a result of Simon carrying the cross of Jesus, he understood who Jesus was and gave his life to Jesus and then went back and, and spoke to his family and converted his wife and at least one son, Rufus. And that would be who Paul was talking to in, in Romans sixteen thirteen. We don't know if that's the case or not. But it, Mark did make a point of explaining that Simon was the son of Alexander and Rufus. So Alexander and Rufus may have been known to others at the time of this writing. So it could well be the one who's spoken of in Romans 16. Now, when Simon came along, he's just coming into town. He didn't come to see a crucifixion. He certainly didn't come to participate in, in any way in a crucifixion. But as he's walking along, he is assaulted he is caught by the Roman soldiers and says, you will carry this cross, whatever part of a cross. You will carry this burden for Jesus. And one of the, the gospels says that Jesus walked in front of the cross then. And, and tradition says that in front of him would have been a soldier with a, with a placard that says, this is the criminal Jesus of Nazareth who has made himself to be king of the Jews. That was what he was convicted of being a king in place of, of uh, Caesar. Now, when Simon came to town, he didn't expect to carry a cross. But you know why Simon carried a cross? Because he was chosen to carry a cross. That's the way it works sometimes. You know, it's very seldom that we get up of a morning and say, today, I want an extra burden in my life. I think I would like someone close to me to be deathly ill. I think I would like my finances to just go down the toilet. I would like my situation to just be something hideous so that I today can be miserable. We don't normally ask for those things outright. Sometimes by the way we live, we do. But Simon came in. He wasn't looking for a cross to bear, but he was chosen by the soldiers, but we can also assume that he was chosen by God because God's in charge of everything. And because he wound up carrying this cross, we know him. There wouldn't have been a, a, 
uh, Simon of Cyrene, to our knowledge, had he not been plugged into this crucifixion scene carrying the cross of Jesus. And a lot of times when we wind up carrying crosses, God is doing something in our lives that will have an eternal impact. We can always say, we can always know that whatever comes in our life, if we belong to him, has passed through his hand. Now, that doesn't make everything good, and that doesn't make everything comfortable. Nobody enjoys carrying a cross. But whatever God allows, he redeems, and he redeemed this compulsion of the Roman army to carry a cross. He redeemed it by making us know of Simon of Cyrene. Okay? So he carried the, the, the cross. Why? Maybe Jesus fell, maybe not. But one thing we know from history about the Romans and, and the Roman soldiers who would have been involved in a crucifixion, would have been involved in the, the torture of Jesus before the, the crucifixion, is they were experts in torture, in suffering. And they most likely would have recognized that Jesus was about to die. And they wouldn't want to, him to miss his own crucifixion. And so they, and they had this, this training that allowed them to prolong misery. And that's why they, we, we learned that, that when, they, when they flogged somebody, when they scourged somebody, they knew when to stop so that they would continue to live and suffer instead of killing them with a scourge. They were experts. They knew how to prolong life. They knew how to prolong misery. And so for whatever reason, whether Jesus fell on the cross or whether they just saw that if he didn't, somebody else didn't carry it, he wasn't going to make it to suffer long, it was turned over. They didn't want Jesus to miss the crucifixion. Now, when, when Simon comes to carry this cross and when Jesus is walking to the, to the place of the skull, Golgotha, also history tells us that they did not take the most direct route. They would have taken Main Street so that people would see them, so that people would be warned of this criminal, so that people would be warned of, of rebelling against Rome, offending Rome, and it was a way of declaring the guilt of the one who was being crucified. Which it makes it very interesting that whether Jesus carried the cross, started out to carry the cross, and then turned it over to Simon. As he walked through the streets, people did not see him carrying a cross. Because that would have been a declaration of guilt, and Jesus was not guilty. So he didn't carry his own cross to the hill. Who did carry his cross? Someone who was not without guilt. See, I would have been a good subject. I would have been a good choice to carry that cross because I am not without guilt. Simon was not without guilt. And so God chose him to carry the cross. And instead of declaring the guilt of Jesus by his transporting his own cross, Simon, the unsuspecting was, was the one who carried that cross, that burden. Now, there's something I want us to, to, to notice. Go back, if we go back up to, uh, to verse 20 in Mark 15, 
It says they put his own clothes back on him and they led him out to crucify him. Then it tells us about Simon and then you get to verse 22 and it says they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means, or Golgotha, which means the place of a skull. You see those two words, those two verbs? They led him out, but then they brought him. And we don't, we don't, again, we don't know how weak Jesus was, but it is quite possible that that, 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 that is very literal in that they, he started out under his own power, but by the time they got to the place of the crucifixion, he was having to be assisted even by the, the Roman soldiers to get him there. They brought him there. He needed to be helped along. Now, they brought him there, and verse 23 says, And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. In some of the translations, instead of the word wine, it uses the word vinegar, which is, or sour wine. If grapes just are left alone after having been pulverized, the, what will naturally happen is that it will turn to vinegar. When wine doesn't come out well as something that, that people want to, to drink and have a party with, it's, it's called vinegar. But it's the same word. That, that's called wine, translated wine, or translated vinegar. It's the word oinos. Because oinos doesn't mean Mogan David wine. It means drink. All right? And so in this case, it, it was a, 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 a drink that was not enjoyed by many folks other than possibly the Roman soldiers who would, you know, drink anything. 40-weight motor oil, whatever. But they, here, this, this particular mixture was this bad drink mixed with myrrh, it says here in, in Matthew, in Mark. In Matthew, it says, and gall. Now, gall, so some people say, well, there's a contradiction. He, was it myrrh, which would have been a, a, a sedative, uh, something that, that kills pain, or was it gall that made something Miserable. Well, it could have been both, you know. The, the, the wine, the drink was already bitter, and so somebody could have said, well, well he, they mixed something in it to make it even more bitter, more unbearable, more enjoyable. And they would have had the myrrh. That, that's pretty well historically backed up that they gave the, uh, the convicted myrrh before they were crucified because it made them easier to get them on a cross. Sometimes it made them live longer so that it was more of a show. So it did kill some pain. But Jesus refused it. Now, why would Jesus refuse it? Was he just a teetotaler? I'm not going to drink good wine, bad wine, any kind of wine. No, because it had this medication in it that would have robbed him of some of the suffering that God had assigned him. When, uh, when Peter had the sword out, he said, put it away. Should I not drink the cup that the Father has for me? He was willing to serve the fullness of the cup that the Father had for him. So he would not take the wine with the, with the painkiller in it at that point. So they offered it to him. He rejected it. 
And they crucified him, is what verse 24 says. And they divided his garments. They crucified him. And, and verse 25 tells us it was the third hour. It was 9 a.m. in the morning. Can you imagine that? What Jesus has been through, he was arrested after dark in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's gone through all these trials during the night, these illegal trials with the, with the Jewish leaders, and then he's turned over to Pilate early in the morning so that they could get him, get him out and get him crucified. He's been abused by the soldiers. He's been beat up by the, by the Jewish guards, and now he's come to be crucified, and it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. How many of you would have missed your own crucifixion if you had to be ready by 9 o'clock in the morning? That's early. In any place, at any time. But, but it's not, not the starting point. This is the ending point. Jesus has been abused all night long. And he's been without sleep. And so it's understandable that he would be too weak to carry the load that would be the cross to carry up a hill. And they, they crucified him, as Scripture said he was going to be, hung on a tree, and they divided his clothes as Psalm 2. Just about all of the information we have about crucifixion does not come from the New Testament, but comes from the Old Testament in Psalm chapter 22. When it says they have, they divided his clothes, that's there. When it talks about the, the stress and pain on his body, that's there. Matter of fact, the New Testament doesn't give any details of a crucifixion. Uh, Psalm 22 is as best as we can get. Now, we can look at tradition, we can look at, at history and, and get some details and find out how, how they did things or, or how they did in different times and different places and, and what, what caused death and, and what they might have gone through. Matter of fact, there's some, some modern research that, that explains the death on the cross. But really, the Bible doesn't talk about it because it was so disgusting because everybody in, that, in the time that, that would be reading Mark, they would have known about crucifixion. And because it was, just, it was just something that people didn't talk about because it was so repulsive. One thing that does come from the, new, or from, from the cross that we know and that we use often is an English word, excruciating which means out of the cross. And it is used to describe pain or something that, that is the ultimate in misery, excruciating, out of the cross. So we do know that it is, it is the ultimate in, in pain. Now, another reason that, that, that the New Testament doesn't talk much about uh, um, the cross, the crucifixion, is because... The Old Testament tells us that anybody who was crucified was under, under a curse. In Deuteronomy 21-23, it's actually talking about being hanged on a physical tree and not a, not a, a man-made tree. But it says whoever is hung on a tree, you need to make sure you take them down at night because to be left on a tree is to be cursed or to be hung on a tree is, is cursed. And so the same goes for Jesus. That they would have recognized that for, for, for him to have been hung on a cross was to be described as being cursed 
And so it's not something that, that's spoken of in detail. But as we look at, at the story and, and what, what Mark tells us, and remember Mark is, is one who talks about uh, action, uses actions. And, and so he, he's not talking about all the details and all the feelings and all the words that were spoken, but he's talking about the, the action that went on. It was the third hour. Verse 26 says that there was a testimony given. And the inscription of the charge against him read, King of the Jews. That would have been posted over his head on, on his cross. Now, the other Gospels expand on that a little bit, and I think it's John that says, uh, or maybe Luke that says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And in John, the... the uh, the religious leader said, no, don't, don't write that up there. That, that sounds like it's true. Instead, put, he said, he claimed to be. And Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. It was a testimony. Now, you think about that. You are, he's crucified with two other criminals, one on each side of him. And they're watching. Apparently, they're already rigged up there when Jesus gets there. And as they're nailing him to that cross, don't you think they're watching what's going on? Don't you think they see how he, how he surrenders himself to the nails? Don't you think they saw that sign that was posted above his head on the cross? This is king of the Jews. Now we know in one of the gospel accounts it says that, that as everybody else was railing on him, they were too, they were ragging on him and, and saying save us and save yourself and save us too. And, and, and for a while it, that went on and then, and then one of the gospels says, well now it... it after a while, one of the thieves said to the other one, that's about enough. Don't you see that he doesn't deserve this? He's been paying attention to what's been written and what people have been saying. What have people been saying? People have been saying he made himself out to be a king. He, he talked about delivering other people. Matter of fact, they said he healed other people. He delivered other, other, delivered other people why don't you deliver yourself, Jesus? Now, you're a, you're a thief hanging on a cross, and you're looking for something to cling to. And you see a, 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 a placard that says, this is the king of the Jews. Now, you may not know what that means, but you know what a king is. You know what a king has authority. You hear other people saying, he saved others, he delivered others. And you're thinking, this guy really can deliver people. And I'd submit to you that, that the things that people intended to be the, the misery of Jesus and, and taking away from any praise that he would be worthy of was being, were being used by God to witness to folks around. They, everybody saw King of the Jews, sovereign. It was written. It was written in Latin, it was written in Aramaic, it was written in Greek, so it, it had the legal language it, language, it had the language of the Jews, it had the language of the common language of everybody, Greek. It was visible, and then the, the, the mockings were actually, I believe God was using them. Matter of fact, in, in Acts chapter 6, it says that a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, they'd heard Peter's testimony as well, and they'd seen some of the t Christians live before them. But I guarantee a lot of them were at that crucifixion. And one of the, the criminals, Luke says, said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom.
And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And I'd say that God would use even all the railing and all the mocking because God can use anything for his glory because he is God. And then comes the sixth hour. Verse 33, in the sixth hour, when it had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Three hours of darkness. Now, some people say it was, a, it was a, a, an eclipse. Now, we've seen eclipses. Y'all ever seen a three-hour eclipse where it was total darkness over the whole earth? Nobody else has either. There's not an eclipse during a full moon, which it would have been in, in Palestine at that time because it was Passover time. Certainly not a three-hour eclipse. What was going on? God was doing a miracle. And nature itself, I would submit to you, was, was rebelling against this action against God in the flesh. The one who spoke everything into creation. Three hours of darkness. Until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, verse 34 says, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus felt the forsakenness, felt forsaken by God. And he is quoting Psalm 22 again. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 1. Why would he sense Has he really been forsaken? Well, he can't really be completely forsaken because he is God in the flesh. God can't. God doesn't change. God doesn't abandon. But God, he had this sense of because the New Testament tells us some things about it. God had made him, made Jesus the man, made him who knew no sin to be sin for all, that he might become the righteousness, that we might become the righteousness of God. In him, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. Isaiah 53, 10 says that it pleased God the Father to bruise him. So God the Father was involved in this. Nothing was out of his hand. He was involved in the bruising and the beating and the bloodshed of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself at the cross. How could he do that? Well, our sin had to be paid for. And Jesus was shedding his sinless blood to pay for our sin. A perfect sacrifice once for all. 2 Corinthians 5.19 And so certainly there is a sense of being abandoned by God as, as the presence of God is covered up by our sin being laid upon Jesus. My God, why have you forsaken me? Bystander said, well, look, he's calling for, for Elijah to come and rescue him. Let's see what happens. But someone else went and got a sponge and soaked it in sour wine or vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. Now, this time he did drink it. Why would he do that? Because he had a couple more things to say. And by this point, his throat would have been so dry that he might not have been able to express these last couple of things. In verse 37 of, of Mark, it says, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. 
In John 19.30, it says, it tells us what he said in that cry. Into thy hands I commit my soul. And, and Luke says, it is finished. Or maybe I've got those reversed. But those were two more things that he said. It is finished and into thy hands I commit my soul. It is over. He's done everything. He wanted people to know that what he, had done on, what he had done on the cross, what he'd gone to the cross for, had been accomplished. Our sins had been paid for. And then something happened. It says in, in Mark, verse 38, And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, if it had been torn from the bottom up, that could have been a man, but it was torn from the top. And this is a, 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 something that, that a mere man is not going to just grab and tear. And so it was God's action as Jesus breathed his last, as the, as the work of, the, of the, the propitiation was accomplished, God tore that, that, that veil, that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from everything else. To say that now we have access to the very presence of God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And so the veil that separated man from God is torn. And in, in Matthew 27 it says that there was also an earthquake at that time and rocks were broken. Now, what, what could that possibly be about? Well, think back to what, what is happening here. He's delivering us from the law, from the penalty of the law. And, and when Moses was up on Mount Sinai receiving the law, there was an earthquake. Matter of fact, people were so afraid. That's one of the reasons they said, we've got to have a golden calf. We've got to have something that, that brings us close to God because we don't know what could have possibly happened to Moses. He's up there with all that smoke and, and fire and, and earthquakes and stuff. God's probably just consumed him. Earthquakes. Had him scared. And here, earthquakes, because the law has been fulfilled and the curse of the law has been removed. So you've got the testimony. Another, again, another testimony. The, the veil, the curtain that up in front of the Holy of Holies is torn, ripped from top to bottom. The earthquake, that's that, that, like an earthquake when the law was given, that says the law has been completed, its purpose. And then there's also a centurion standing by, a professional Roman soldier who has seen many a crucifixion. And verse 39 says, And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, the way that Jesus died, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. None of those things would have been incidental. None of those things would have just happened at a normal crucifixion. Crucifixion was a show. A crucifixion was a deterrent to crime. It was a way of shaming people. It was a way of, of scaring people. But God went out of his way to make this crucifixion distinct. Because in this crucifixion, the perfect Lamb of God was slain to pay for your and my sin. So that we can celebrate the birth of the Savior. So that we can live day by day in the power of the Savior, in the life that he gives us when he comes into our lives, when we are born again. So now here we are at Christmas time, and we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus, God coming into the world, Emmanuel, God with us. But you know, you can't do that just knowing the story like you can when you know the one who came as a baby.
and lived through adolescence and lived through manhood and laid down his life on the cross to pay for us. And he did it all tempted like we are, yet without sin, which qualified him. Have you confessed him as Lord and Savior? That's what I'd encourage you to do today. Because he's given all these things as testimony of who he is so that you could see, and then along with that, he moves in your heart so that you can believe. And he gives you the strength today to confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that he's raised from the dead.